0: This is Nick Redding, and you're listening to PreserveCast, a podcast with a worldwide listenership that explores the broad world of preservation from every angle, from drones to mudlarking and everything in between. Now, let's get preserving. History is a big field made up of a variety of disciplines. Finding the right people to do that job can be tough, but one of the nation's foremost history firms is working to address that challenge with the launch of bestjobsinhistory.com. We're talking for-profit history and recruiting the best and brightest on this week's PreserveCast with Beth Maser and Addison Williams of History Associates Incorporated. This is Nick Redding, and you're listening to PreserveCast. Today, we're excited to be joined by two individuals from History Associates Incorporated, both Beth Maser, their new CEO, as well as Addison Williams, the Director of Marketing. And we're going to be talking about what this dynamic organization uh, does. We've actually previously spoken um, with one of their historians in a previous episode uh, called Historian for Hire, um, and learned a little bit about what it means to be a contract historian. But uh, in this episode, we're going to dig into not only the work broadly of um, HAI, but also a new website, new platform. They've launched best jobs in history. Um, and so we're going to be jumping into all that. But like always, before we get involved in something like this, we like to get to know the people that we're speaking with. Um, so maybe we'll start with Beth. Um, what's your background? Where'd you grow up? And how does one end up becoming the, the CEO of an organization like History Associates?
1: Well, thanks for having us. Um, I grew up in Longmeadow, Massachusetts, a very small town right next to Springfield. Um, Was a disgruntled, didn't get into the business school at Washington University. So one of my history professors jumped on a desk and started singing Civil War hymns. And I was like, history sounds like a good major to me. Um, Then I ended up coming to D.C. for grad school at GW and found a passion in business history got an internship with a company called PHR Environmental run by Shelly Bookspan. And I was off. I was kind of dumpster diving like Aaron Brockovich before it was a thing and um, loved the litigation history. Then kind of wanted to modernize my skills, went and got my library degree, um, worked for a library consulting firm. Then of course I pivoted again to get my PMP and Manage a software development project at NARA, the NARA catalog, and did a little independent consulting, taxonomy, knowledge management work. And then a recruiter called about HIA about three years or so ago. And um, I always wanted to make a profit during history, and it just worked out really splendidly as far as I'm concerned. And ironically, Shelley Bookspan is now a principal consultant at HAI. So, what I've learned about this field is everything old is new again, and your career comes full circle.
0: Well, that's that's interesting. I like the part about being the, the disgruntled student who didn't get in, but then found, found their calling. Um, and we'll, maybe at the end for a, an Easter egg in this episode, we can get you to do some of those Civil War hymns. I don't
1: think I remember <laughs> any, but <laughs> go for
0: it. <laughs> um, so Addison, um, director of marketing at a uh, history firm, what, is that, what does that mean? How do, you, how do you market this work? and how did you get into marketing?
2: That's an awesome question. I took the route that I think many marketers will relate to, and, and a lot of people uh, who end up in history is, you know, a, a passion of really old literature. and I said, "Wow, I, I want to get into writing." And it turns out the biggest demand for writing is definitely in marketing. Uh, but what's great is with a passion for you know old literature and stuff like that, the, the big realization that I had is a lot of people don't realize the impact of what they're working on while they're working on it. Uh, and then when I, uh, I actually encountered history... So just like Beth said, everything old is new. I had started uh, working with History Associates uh, as a consultant on marketing. And I just loved uh, what History Associates did. Largely because um, there's sort of an awareness of the cultural and social impact of what we're doing. Not to not to overblow it, but like th- the people real, who we work with here and our team really actually believe in it and and live it and stick with it, um, and that's really energizing and motivating. So when I saw that History Associates was looking for a director of marketing, I raised my hand and said, "That's that's me. I would I would love to come in and do that." Um, What's different about marketing history, historical services is that you ride a um, there's definitely more of a razor's edge where the the people uh, and their skills and expertise are what we're selling. So we do have to make sure that we can quantify and put a value on what we know and what we've worked on. Uh, but the the team members and the stories that they're working on for our clients, those are sort of you know, those are qualitative. So being able to actually convey both is really important and and actually really fun to work on.
0: Yeah, it's a challenge. I mean, obviously, we've had conversations outside of this podcast and sort of thinking up like, oh, who could we interview at HAI who'd be good for a podcast? And it's like, well, they're working on this project, but that's not really something that the company wants to talk about. And, you know, I mean, it's it's not all of your work is not all jump up and down public facing work. So it's it can be challenging. Whereas, you know, I run a nonprofit and basically anything we do is fair game to market. Um, so it that's that's unique in that there's some confidentiality is associated with the work as well, which I guess is is different from from some types of marketing.
2: Mm-hmm. That's that's even funny you mention it because in uh, for example, we do um we have research historians who work in litigation, and in that case, we even marketing our confidentiality, right? So uh <laughs> talking about the fact that we Uh, you know, obviously understand that world and the legal world and litigation world and its sensitivities is a selling point. So it's funny, you know, we do work across enough industries that um, we have to, we do have to talk to them all uh, a little individually. And we've kind of set up, you know, our entire online experience around that. And and the whole, you know, the whole practice of working with us, you kind of uh, choose your own adventure and and you know we say very early on okay is this a very sensitive subject or is this like a corporate project where you want the world to know right like uh, if it's a corporate brand's you know somebody's 100th anniversary as a company they want you know they want us to talk about it more it's free advertising totally different
0: yeah totally different than the tagline for your legal team we know to, we know how to keep our mouths shut <laughs> uh, that's which i always thought was good you must have come up with that one that's a joke um so um so I mean Beth what is it that I mean I think people generally understand that a CEO is sort of responsible for everything I mean at the end of the day the, the buck stops there but what on a day-to-day basis are you doing do you get your hands dirty in any history work anymore or is it really sort of overseeing the business of HAI
1: You know that's a that's a really good question I don't get a chance these days to get my hands dirty as much as I I used to rolling up my sleeves and going to the archives, but I love to get a chance to do that. In fact, ironically, this week, there are two proposals on my desk with projects that I can work on. They were kind of towards taxonomy and and knowledge management. Um, But the day-to-day HAI is, is growing, you know, proof positive that a very good director of marketing can help drive business, and you know, with our talented staff here, um, it's really working on the day to day. We were just fortunate enough that we had a great year in twenty one, and I brought on a VP of operations. So, I, you know, a, a lot of the administrative stuff is getting spread out and not on my desk anymore. So, I feel this year, especially, I can concentrate, work more hand in hand with Addison. And you know, keep growing HAI because we still are generally a small business and we're in a, in a niche market, but there's so much opportunity. And it's nice that we can finally get a chance to really explore and be creative in avenues that we're trying to target.
0: And I, I suppose, Addison, maybe it's a good place for us to back up for just a second and let you give the elevator pitch for people who aren't familiar with what... You know what a contract history firm does and what a place like HAI does the kind of work that you do I mean you kind of mentioned some of the some of the the, the lines and then also to Beth's point maybe you can flesh this out is how, how big are you how many how many employees are there or that kind of stuff that people would be interested in
2: Oh Beth I think we we were just actually you know reviewing 2021 I think we're at 47 employees right now is that right Beth
1: Yeah and we're edging closer to 50 and we grew by a headcount of 16 employees from 20 to 21. So we really are on an upward trajectory. And,
2: uh, you, the big, the elevator pitch, you know, around, uh, I think what we've really sealed and cemented is that, um, the, everybody's got a story to tell, uh, whether that is a story, you know, for a narrative in a courtroom, right. For a legal, or it's a, uh, a government, um, you know, like the national park service that actually is here to preserve culture, uh, or a corporate brand that says, Hey, we'll sell more units of, you know, uh, we'll sell more bottles or, or whatever of their product. If, if we tell our story, um, or even those organizations like associations and institutions, universities, museums, that kind of thing, who they are hyper aware, right? They are the, um, the, the, bastions of, of stories and, and preserving texts and things like that uh everybody's got a story to tell and so that's what we're actually gonna we tease out right um there are some things that we do that may seem a little bit more quantifiable so for example archives we have you know uh linear feet of documents that are preserved but even then there's a human touch right does somebody uh know all the techniques about handling each unique document based on its age or its irregular size. So, um, that's the professional services pitch. Those are who we reach out to. And the other thing is, is, um, we do actually split it into, right. We have archives and information management, which is, uh, you know, a very, it's actually a growing field, especially with, um, a lot of things moving, uh, digital or people actually realizing the value of properly storing and documenting information not just putting a bunch of boxes in a you know in a stack in a warehouse and forgetting about it although you know that's that's often where we get called in as somebody did that and, and you know it requires experts to go help fix that um but we also have uh exhibits and uh you know we work with museums and curatorial services we can help tease out the stories for exhibits and are often the coordinator on things like, uh, you know, helping manage uh, exhibit creation. And then finally, like I said, we, we do talk about our legal services differently, but actually going through things like the National Archives to find out, you know, exa- the exact date that such and such a property was used for such and such a purpose, you know, because that's it's going to be um, material to a lawsuit outcome, something like that. Uh, those are our core services. But did I did I miss one of the the major core services that we
1: well just tagging um adding up on legal, you know, another tagline is we've made a lot of people partner. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> you know, our, our team is very good at sussing out the needle in the haystack. And also we've seen a, a huge uptick in collections management work as well. So, you know, it it the tangents are getting, you know multiplying so we're really seeing work in areas that a traditional history firm wouldn't have touched you know 5 years ago and you know the pivot and the paradigm shift to digital is really opening a lot of new opportunities
0: well, this is a good place talking about new opportunities, maybe, and pivots is to pivot over to something that you guys have launched. Um, and this is this is not an extended advertisement for best jobs in history. In fact, I saw it and thought, well, that actually would be interesting for a lot of people listening who work in this field or want to work in this field. Um, and so you've you know, I guess it you're you're not busy enough between all the different things and adding 16 employees in a year. So you decided <laughs> to launch a new website. Where did the idea come from for this? And you know what? What was the 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 need that you were trying to address?
1: You know, I've always thought of myself as a square peg in a in a round hole, right? Because you know, here I am coming out like I want to be a his. You know, I love history, but how do I monetize that? You know, I've always been entrepreneurial. I grew up in a family-owned business and my experience and my career path as you know diverged in several different directions. Um where I became passionate about job searches. I worked for startup.com as their first taxonomist. I think I was employee 13. You know, my options were worth nothing. It was one of those, you know, fizzled out. But he I really learned about job descriptions and how they're so poorly written. And, you know, if people are the square pegs in the round hole, they're never really going to find an apples to apples match between job descriptions and positions because a lot of people on the outside that are trying to find historians, librarians, you know, just information managers. And, you know, like we mentioned before, the paradigm shift to digital, now you've got data managers, raw, you know, raw data, competitive intelligence folks. Um, You know, my network before I came to HAI was primarily, you know, library and information services based. And, you know, they've had that whole conversation about, you know, nobody really understands the skills that librarians can bring to the table. And, you know, some are resistant to change, some are not. And it's totally age agnostic right you know you could have a 30-year employee that is totally applying themselves to you know the new digital tools you could have somebody right out of library school that's like I really just want to work with you know paper and you know so again industry age agnostic but it's very difficult to find the match and that goes on the employer side And the job seeker side, you know, it all comes down to like metadata and ships passing in the night because if somebody's calling it an apple, but it's really a peach, you know, are you ever going to really find each other? So with my personal background and, you know, my history of kind of matchmaking and behind the scenes to put, you know, the right people in front of the right people at different, you know, companies, uh, I just, there's a real need in the market for a niche job site, especially in these information historical, you know, careers and opportunities, that there needs to be a fresher community with people that understand how to get the apples to the apples. Does that make sense?
0: It does. And I'm I'm curious what the need is. So you identified that there's a mismatch between what what companies and others are looking for and how to find those people and how to have those people find the companies have since you've launched and I guess how long has it been launched that kind of stuff have you found success
1: in that you know we're right at the infancy it's really only been live for Addison what two months now
2: two months that's right
1: um you know Addison's really in charge of drawing traffic I just happened to be on LinkedIn before we got on with you today. And we're already up to 210 followers on our LinkedIn site alone. I think it's going to be an organic growth. Um, you know, for people finding us and putting in their resumes and things like that. But I have a long term in my mind, I can see it clearly. I don't know if I can articulate what I can see properly. But you know, I want to get in, take best jobs in history and get more into the matchmaking temporary staffing and recruiting and could just kind of build, you know, build a community because this is this information professional community is one that's kind of unique, right? Everybody likes to share information with each other. And I, I think a lot of people really just want to Share information because what goes around comes around. It's not like, you know. Sure, we we set up the site because we saw a business opportunity, but at the heart, it's a group of people that like to share and exchange information because, you know, down the line it could be next week, it could be three years from now. But like, oh, I remember somebody saying that on a chat room or something. I'm going to call them up or I'm going to just reach out through LinkedIn. So you know. Whereas you had the business goals, my underlying, you know, personal goal is to create a new community with people that like, you know, that really get a benefit out of networking. And I don't really see, you know, you've got the professional associations, but we can talk that's another whole discussion on, you know, like the decline of the professional association, especially with like younger folks that really only grew up with social media, right? You know, whereas, you know, somebody in my demographic, you know, my core network is probably, you know, close to retiring or has been like, hey, I don't need, you know, X association any longer because I already have, you know, I already have my network. I don't, I can just call somebody directly. I don't need to go, you know, to the annual meeting and sit through these presentations where, you know, I could give them on my own. So I think, If this could bridge the gap, you know, between those two groups, and we've got a new fresher community with people that are really invested in seeing the new trends and just connecting them in a different way, Um, you know, clearly we're still in the infancy of of best jobs, but I can just, that's my long-term goal for this.
0: Well, I think that that's a great place to kind of leave that with the long-term goal. And then maybe we'll come back and talk to Addison about specific types of jobs that people would find there who are listening, who might be interested. Um, and a couple other things before we wrap up. And we'll do that right here in PreserveCast. Historic preservation can't happen without skilled tradespeople to perform the work. And there's a critical need right now for those tradespeople. The Campaign for Historic Trades, powered by Preservation Maryland, is working to meet that need. By strengthening apprenticeship opportunities within historic trades. In partnership with the National Park Service's Historic Preservation Training Center and Conservation Legacy, the campaign is currently recruiting for NPS Traditional Trades Apprenticeship Program, or TTAP. TTAP's an intensive 20 week apprenticeship that provides young adults the chance to learn historic trade skills while working on America's most iconic historic sites. Multiple positions are open for the 2022 season at national parks across the country. Visit historictrades.org for more information on TTAP and how to apply today. This is Nick Redding. You're listening to Preserve Cast. Today we're excited to be joined by Beth Macer, the CEO of History Associates, as well as Addison Williams, the Director of Marketing. We've been talking all about the work of a for profit history organization and what that means and the kind of um, lines of work that they're engaged in, as well as their interest and the background of launching Best Jobs in History. Understand it's not a very old site at this point. Talk about the need and the matchmaking um, and where this could go in creating that kind of community. I think it's interesting, too, that you talk about um, the professional associations and even the large national organizations that used to be so critical with conferences and things like that. And I feel like, you know, even in the preservation world and the history world, the the pandemic in some ways um, accelerated breaking that because the, those conferences kind of came to an end. And sometimes I feel like I wonder whether or not they'll, they'll ever really come back the way that they were. Um, Addison, uh, very specific, direct question. What kind of jobs can you find on the site? Someone's listening and they're like, oh, well, I'm a historian and I want to get a historian job. Are they going to find that way what other kind of jobs will people find on the site?
2: That's great. It's good that you asked. So the way that we curate the jobs is very specific. We said, all right, it's going to be history, archives, libraries, museums, and research, right? So that's the, the easy punch list. If you say, yep, I'm one of those, uh, then your job is going to be on the site. Um, that was one way that we tried or that we sourced it up and ramped it up very quickly is we've also curated jobs from partners that we uh, jumped on with right out the gate. We said, even in the infancy, we wanna have a lot to offer people who are job seekers. So uh, right now we have around 500 listings up available in those industries. Um, In some instances, we've also said, okay, there are museums and libraries and archives that have um, ancillary positions. Right. So if it's in a museum, but it's, say, uh, a design job or a tech job, those will also be on uh, best jobs in history. It felt like it made more sense to be inclusive because uh, there are some people who are just so industry specific. Right. Say you've been working at, at a museum, uh, a local museum for 15 years. Well, you know, it, you you want to find another museum job, even if you weren't the curator, if that wasn't your title. Um Right. Say you were working in IT. You say, well, I I think I'd like to to, I think those skills
0: transfer over and we do, too. Right. I think. Yeah, no, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I'm I'm curious. There's a lot of conversation now, particularly we see in the preservation world about um, posting salaries and, and what that means for equity and kind of just um you know, letting people know where you stand on that. I have actually personally found in in hiring that it it just makes the process a little bit simpler. Uh, There's not as much guesswork. It's like, here's what we can afford. Um, And maybe that's the way it works kind of on the nonprofit side. What have you guys come to an agreement on when it comes to salary visibility?
2: What we so often see is that uh, we... Set a standard by curating the jobs that are the most transparent and the highest quality. And a lot of those do include uh, minimum salary, right? So it might not say top range. Um, I think that's where uh, the old guard and the new guard is sort of compromising, but talking about minimum salary so that uh, applicants can know whether um, it's in the right range for them and it's worth pursuing. And we're all in favor of transparency. That being said, um, you know, it is up to the individual hiring manager, we've set it up so that, hey, you can put that information um, and it's asked of you, right? So that there is some way of setting guideposts. But ultimately, one of the things that is still true about history and research and libraries and museum is that um, there is a, uh, there is an, Orthodoxy that is still in place, and if that does include more traditional practices of sort of saving the salary conversation until the end of the hiring process, um, a few organizations that list jobs do still
0: uh, practice that. Yeah, it makes sense. So, um, what's the what's the future hold? Not only for um, you know your site, but but History Jobs. People can get pretty cynical about that. I don't know if maybe we kick this one over to Beth, but. Do do you feel, I mean, you, you've hired 16 people and you've talked about just in the past year and you've talked about how, um, you know, you're doing work that five, 10 years ago, people didn't even think about when it came to Mm -hmm. history organizations. Are you feeling sort of bullish on the future of, um, professional, you know, for-profit history work and history work in general?
1: Yeah, I think more and more people are open to it. Um, a lot of people don't realize that you can have a career in a for-profit history firm. Um, I'm seeing, you know, I'm on the Lead Council of University of Maryland's iSchool, and we talk about the this topic a lot. And, you know, a lot of our work requires the master's degree. However, the bachelor's degree in information science out of the library school at UMD is the fat like I think it's like the third highest um major at the at the university right now. It's growing by leaps and bounds. So I think that the skill set of historians and you know librarians, you know, they definitely merge. You know, UMD still has that Hills program, which is a combined master's in history and library science. But iSchools are called iSchools and not library schools any, any longer because it's really had a push towards digital and more technology applications in the field. And I think we're going to see that more, but it's interesting. My presence on that community, I'm always like, hey, I raise my hand. I'm like, don't forget about the people that don't want to go the techie route because there's still going to be jobs for people that like to, you know, touch the paper, go to the archives, and you know, um, I've made a career out of not everything's available on Google, so you know, we have to remember that you know, it, Google has a lot, and you can get a lot, you know, in this small six inch by four inch device that everybody you know carries around with them 24/7. but there's a, a lot of other information out there and there still needs to be curators and guardians of this type of information. So I, I think there will always be jobs for historians and companies like hiI and other firms out there that employ historians and librarians, I'm always going to be bullish on it and I'm always going to champion these types of roles and organizations because the skills and the analytical thinking that they no longer teach in school, um, you know, K through 12, it's going to be in demand and there's got to be people that still know how to employ these skills in any job.
0: Yeah, I like that. And I also, I think we've come up with your new tagline, not everything's on Google. Hai. It's going on the homepage now. (laughs) There it is. He's he's doing it as we speak. So he probably is. is. yeah, this is really interesting. It's it's fun to hear what you guys are up to um, and, and see how far you're trying to push the envelope on what it is that history research is. And hopefully people will not only check out your website, but also check out uh, Best Jobs in History. We'll put links to both of them in the show notes. Um, before we go, we like to ask everyone uh, who comes on what their favorite historic site is. So we'll start with Addison and then we'll come over to Beth.
2: Well, I went to uh, Chartres Cathedral in France. And that was like, you know, it was a, such an old structure, but so hand detailed and it had made it, you know, into the modern world. That was my, the most impactful historic site I've ever visited. Um, I remember while I was there, I was like, wow, it's a cathedral, right? So I guess it, it is not a village. So, you know, oh, I guess people are going to come and uh, have services there and mass and stuff like that actually know the they had one bible and it was behind you know giant iron gates uh so i realized that they even had a sense there of uh the historic value and and sort of the um right the preservation nature it, it wasn't in current use anymore uh like i had suspected it would be for some reason uh and at that point i realized okay a, his, a truly historic site is just uh Uh, you know, sometimes it's a little different that they make a decision on how they're going to use it.
0: Like it. And where would you go, Beth?
1: Um, I will take any chance to go back to the historic fort at the San Juan National Historic Site. I I just love it. And it'd be, I was at Fort Sumter last week, but San Juan Fort, awesome. Anybody should go there.
0: When was the last time you were there?
1: Uh, I would say probably about four years ago.
0: Well, it seems like it's time probably to get back. I guess uh,
1: you know, any time to go to San Juan
0: is a good time. Yeah, exactly. Maybe there's some some research that can be done down there.
1: We actually are processing a collection from there right now.
0: <laughs> See, it would just be. I think. I think it would be in 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 good business uh, practice for you to go down there and just check in, and make sure things are going okay.
1: We'll get right on it.
0: So it's been so much fun to have both of you here, hear what you're doing. We'll have to have you back as the site continues to expand um, and hear about the usage patterns and what you're finding um, and want to thank both of you for joining us today in PreserveCast.
1: Thanks so much for having us.
0: Yeah, glad to be on. Thanks for listening to PreserveCast. To dig deeper into this episode's story, head over to PreserveCast.org for show notes and our collection of previous episodes. Don't forget to engage with this podcast by subscribing, commenting, and leaving a review. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at PreserveCast for even more. PreserveCast is currently recorded in Walkersville, Maryland, and sponsored by the 1772 Foundation, and powered by Preservation Maryland. Thanks for listening, and keep on preserving.